I invite you to grab a Bible, if you brought yours, if not, there's one, should be one in the pew in front of you, and find Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. It'll be good for you to follow along in a Bible, although the scripture will be projected as well, but I always think it's good for you to have it in your hand. How do you know I didn't change it when I put it up there? You need to see it for yourselves. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. As you're finding it, I'll just tell you a little bit about this passage. We're going to look at Mark 10, 17 through 22. And it's really just the beginning of a longer passage. It's kind of a one long three-part passage that's all really one unit but I decided just to tackle this first part this Sunday, and we'll look at the other two parts next Sunday. Um, really, honestly, just because long sermons can be hard to listen to. And I understand that, especially since we have the kiddos with us. I didn't want to test your patience with a long sermon. So you are welcome. Because <laughs> I would have loved to have preached the entirety of it, because it really would do best altogether. But I trust you to come back next week to to hear part two. So Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. We'll read through it together. And for this part, it won't be uh, totally projected. Um, You can just leave it on the title slide for when we read through it. If you'll follow along in your Bibles, then we'll just work through it simply, uh, verse by verse, and see what the Lord has to say to us this morning. So we pick up the story. Jesus and his disciples are traveling together toward Jerusalem uh, where he will be crucified for our sins and raised up again. And so we pick up with them on the road. It says, And as he, referring to Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word and giving us this time each week that we can just receive it together. And I pray that we would receive it. And I pray that you would help me to serve your people well and and transmit it faithfully and clearly and honestly and powerfully. And let your word have its full effect in our hearts. We invite you to open our hearts up and do whatever work within us needs to be done so that we can have a right relationship with you through Christ. And we trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So our text begins with the introduction of a new character 
in the story of Jesus in Mark. We've seen Jesus interacting with children. We've seen him interacting with his disciples. We've seen him interacting with religious professionals, the Pharisees. And now in verse 17, we meet a new character. It says, And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So we already know a few things about this this man. We know that he's eager. He ran up to Jesus. Now, I wasn't in here when all of you entered the sanctuary, but I don't believe any of you ran in here. Maybe some of the kids did, but I don't believe any of you adults ran in, or when you parked your car, that you ran into the church. This man ran up to Jesus, which was considered really undignified in that time. It might seem weird if we saw some of our adult men running into the church. You might think there was an emergency. In that day, it just seemed undignified. But this man ran up to Jesus. So we know he's eager, and we know that he's humble, or at least he appears to be humble, because when he gets to Jesus, he kneels. And this is in public. It's in front of a lot of people. He runs up to Jesus, and he kneels before him. So he's eager, and he's humble. And we know that he's on the right track because he's coming to Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. So, so far, so good. And we know, too, that he's seeking a good thing. What is he seeking? He's seeking eternal life. So he runs up to Jesus. He kneels down before Jesus. And his request, his question is, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So, so far, this guy seems pretty good. You compare him to the disciples. If you've been here over the last several weeks, you remember the disciples keep arguing with each other over who's the greatest among them. And this guy doesn't seem to be thinking that way. He seems to be humble enough to know he needs to receive something from Jesus. Compare him to ourselves. Uh, How many of you had to drag yourself out of bed to get here this morning? And there's no judgment on that because honestly, I had to drag myself out of bed to get here this morning. Because yesterday was great, but it was exhausting. I'm sure many of you felt the same way. This guy, no one was dragging this guy. No one was coercing him. This guy didn't have a spouse saying, you know, you really should go to Jesus today. He's in town. You really need to get up and go. He didn't have a parent saying, it's time to get up. It's time to go to Jesus. He ran to him on his own. And he's seeking eternal life. How many of you came here this morning seeking eternal life? Now, again, this isn't a judgmental question, but often we come to church seeking all kinds of blessings, but eternal life with God isn't always the first on our priorities. Often it's more about solving this latest financial crisis we're in or or healing this latest physical discomfort. This guy has has a, a grand request. He wants to know how he can inherit eternal life with God. Now, Jesus' response to this guy, who seems pretty good, is really jarring. It's really surprising. Some of you may have heard this passage before, and so the surprise may not hit you afresh this morning, but try to look at it with fresh eyes. Here's this man kneeling before him, asking what he needs to do to inherit eternal life, and look at Jesus' reply in verse 18. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? 
The man's questions about eternal life, yes, he addressed Jesus as good teacher, but you know, that's just how he addressed him. But that's what Jesus focuses on in his reply. Why do you call me good? On what basis do you conclude that I am good? On what basis do you conclude that anyone is good? How do you throw that out there so cavalier, cavalierly? That doesn't seem right. How do you just throw it out there that someone is good? And then he says, no one is good except God alone. Now, this is a really jarring statement. And I think we need to pause and think about this for a minute. Now, we know because we've read through Romans that the Bible teaches that all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's a very important teaching in Christianity. There must be something in this man that makes Jesus think that his main problem is he doesn't understand goodness. So, I only have one illustration for this concept, so I'm going to use it again. If you've heard it before, repetition is great for learning, and some of you haven't heard it before, but... Often we human beings measure goodness in comparison to one another. And so in our minds, it's as if there's this continuum, this goodness continuum. I've made sort of an example here. On one end of the spectrum are the worst people, and on the other end of the spectrum are the best people. And at any point in our lives, we can always look to our rights or to your left and see some people who are worse than you. Yes, if you look to your right, you might find that there are some people who are better than you, more generous, more patient, uh, wealthier, more successful, but you can always look to the other way and see that there's, there's some people that are worse. And looking that direction, we can tend to feel as though we are good because we're comparing ourselves with other people on this imaginary spectrum that we've created in our minds. One of the central teachings of Christianity and one of the first things we have to understand to understand why we need Jesus so much is that this isn't how it actually works in reality. See, in reality, when God looks at us, he doesn't see a spectrum of you know, worse people, better people, and all that. He sees a different spectrum. He sees sinfulness and holiness. Now, sinfulness... You know what sin is. It's all the ways in which we miss the mark. It's all the good we fail to do and all the bad that we do. Even if we don't want to, we, we do. Holiness is the absence of all that. It's perfection. It's purity. So God himself is pure goodness. There is no darkness in him. There is no sin in him. There is no flaw in him. There is no bad in him. He is pure, holy, pure goodness. And ultimately, the only comparison that matters is not how you compare to your neighbor or your brother or your sister or your coworker or the people you see on reality television. Ultimately, the only comparison that's going to matter is how you compare to God himself. Because his standard for those who will enter into eternal life is you must be holy like he is holy. You must be holy like he is holy. So in reality, instead of a spectrum of people who some are better, some are worse, there's really just two big, broad categories. Those who are holy and those who are sinful. 
And the Bible teaches that just one sin, just one small sin, puts you in the sinful category. So ultimately, there are all people on the left, and there's God on the right, and that's our situation. And so when this man comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, Jesus sees this as an opportunity to lay down this pivotal teaching, no one is good except for God alone. The first step for this kneeling man in his quest for eternal life is to realize his need. Did you notice the assumption in his question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He assumes there's something he could do to work his way up the continuum enough, to be good enough to gain eternal life. And Jesus shuts down that whole line of thinking immediately. There is nothing you can do. There's only what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how far up the comparison chart with people you can get. You cannot make yourself holy. You cannot make yourself perfect. You cannot make yourself blameless. You cannot make yourself pure like God is pure. That's why Christianity is not about accumulating more good deeds on our resume. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about receiving goodness as a gift from God through Jesus Christ. See, in Jesus Christ, God came over to us and lived the sinless life that we have failed to live and died the death that we deserved for our sin so that he could bring with us all who would trust in him into holiness. The Bible has a great deal to say about this, that we gain in Jesus forgiveness of our sins. We gain in Jesus his righteousness. In Jesus, we are justified, which means made innocent. It's a gift Now, it's a free gift in that you don't have to do anything to earn it. It's a very expensive gift in that it was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. But that's what Christianity is. If it were just a matter of trying to do more good stuff, we could all download the Christianity app on our phones, and it would track our good deeds just like you track your calories or your steps. And every day you could look and see where you are on the continuum of your good deeds. I'm a little shy of my goal today. I better go out and pick up some litter or I better give a kid a hug or something and I'll boost it up. Okay, I'm safe again today. I've done enough good deeds today. That is not at all what Christianity is about. Christianity is about the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on after this, I would think, to this guy, a shocking answer to his question. Then he goes on to work through the conversation a little bit more to help this guy understand what he means. And Jesus does this often in conversation with people. It's like he's playing chess with them. Anybody a chess player in here? All right, another really relevant uh, illustration, Matt. Good job. Nobody. I'm sure some of you do. In chess, you think several moves ahead, and you move your pieces around the board strategically to try to make your opponent do what you want them to do and get them in the position you want to get them. And Jesus does this masterfully in conversation. And that's what he's doing with this man. So first, his first move in the conversation is to establish, you don't even know what goodness is. 
you don't even know how to measure goodness. And you, you need to realize that no one is good except God himself. And then a second move is to cause the man to evaluate his own goodness. So look at verse 19. You know the commandments, Jesus goes on. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. So Jesus proceeds and he, he names out some of the Ten Commandments, not all of them. And he just lays those out there before the guy. Okay, we're going to talk about goodness. You know some of the things God has commanded. Here's some examples. Now, it turns out these are examples that this guy feels pretty confident in. So he goes on, he replies in verse 20, and he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. So he thinks, well, I am good. I've done this stuff. And now Jesus has, has backed him into a corner and is checkmate. Now Jesus moves the final piece in place and makes his final point in this conversation with this man. Let's read it together. Let's read verses 21 through 22 and see the whole rest of the conversation, and we'll go back and look at it. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, as we look at how Jesus got him into checkmate here, how Jesus exposes his, his preconception that he's good and the reality that he is not, just look first at Jesus' disposition toward the man. There in verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. You know, Jesus tends to, when we go to him honestly and vulnerably, he tends to um, use his word like a scalpel and a sword at the same time to just slice right down to the core of us and expose the reality of us and do the work in the deepest realms of our heart. And this can be very painful. But we need to remember his bedside manner as our spiritual doctor here is really, really good. And so right now, as his word is doing its work in our hearts, just like this man, he's looking at you. He's not texting while he's saying this stuff flippantly. He's not saying, why do you call me good? Nobody's good. He's not continuing in stride, walking toward Jerusalem, just saying stuff flippantly back behind him to this guy. He has stopped his journey, and he's looking at the man. He's looking at him and really seeing him. How often do you look at someone and really see them? I was challenged on this recently and realized how much I go through my day. It's not even really, I might like make quick eye contact, but not really seeing the person in front of me. Jesus really sees the person in front of him. He sees this man. He sees you and me. Looking at him, he loved him. So here Jesus is about to, he's about to back this man into a corner and reveal the biggest problem in his heart. And he's not doing it out of anger and he's not doing it out of meanness. And even though it's going to be painful for this man, he's doing it because he loves him. 
And so as we study the word right now, I can guarantee he, looking at you, he loves you. Whatever the problem at the core of your heart is right now, just like this man, you have issues in the core of your heart. We all do. Looking at you, Jesus loves you. Seeing you, really seeing you, really knowing you, knowing your heart, knowing your history. Looking at you, he loves you. But that doesn't mean he's going to let you off the hook. So looking at the man, he loved him. And he says to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. So this man was eager, and he was humble, and he was on the right track. He was approaching Jesus. He was after good things. He wanted eternal life. He was relatively good compared to others. You know, you saw... He didn't murder or commit adultery. He honored his parents. That list of six commandments, he had those down pretty good. But in the end, he could not let go of his earthly treasure to gain treasure in heaven. He could not let go of what he had here in order to gain a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. As relatively good as he was, he was doomed He could not let God become the number one priority in his life. And why? Verse 22 tells us, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. His wealth had tricked him and trapped him. And he couldn't escape. Material wealth can blind us to our spiritual need. Wealth can make us feel secure without God. Wealth can make us feel beautiful in our sin. Wealth can make us feel better than other people, blinding us to our desperate need for God's forgiveness, blinding us to our desperate need for God's mercy, blinding us to our desperate need for God's grace blinding us to our desperate need for a Savior and instead damning us into a lifetime of just trying to improve ourselves, trying to become a little better and ultimately missing it all together. For this man, it seems like eternal life, what he originally asked Jesus for, was going to be just another possession for him. He had a great many possessions, and he wanted to add to that eternal life. And Jesus, in essence, was saying, you don't understand what you're asking. You can't just add this. You can't just add eternal life with God in like it's just one of many things in your portfolio. I see this mindset a lot in church ministry People who, from time to time, depending on their season of life, would like to add Christianity to their life. They don't want to make it the main thing, but they just like to add a little, add a little bit of it. Add a little bit of Jesus. Add a little bit of churchiness. You know, with the youth, I've referred to it as uh, letting church be another topping on your life pizza. There's lots of good things going on in my life, and I'll add a little church. Maybe one Wednesday a month I'll go. 
Or you think of it as another app on your phone. I've got a lot of good things going for me, and I'll add Christianity to that as well. And when, ne- when needed, you know, when I have something going on, I'll, I'll cue it up and say a prayer or go to church. I'll just add it too. You might remember Jesus was explaining what the kingdom of God is like. And he said it's like a man who discovered an unbelievable treasure in a field. And as soon as he discovered it, he knew what it was, that it was amazingly valuable. And so he quickly buried it up, and he went home, and he sold everything he had. He got rid of everything. He liquidated everything so that he could use that money and buy that field, so that he could have the treasure that was worth more than all other treasures. That's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what coming into a relationship with the God of the universe through Christ is like. It starts with the realization that he is more valuable than all other treasures. No sacrifice is too great to gain God. Wealth can trick us and it can trap us. This guy could have gone away with a full heart and joy He could have gone away and got rid of that stuff that was temporary anyway, and he could have come back and followed Jesus. Maybe he could have been like one of the the close disciples, and he could have gained this eternal life that he said he wanted. But instead, he went away disheartened and sorrowful because he had great possessions. It reminds me of the story, perhaps you've heard before, of this monkey trap. And this will be our last idea for the sermon. I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard tale that there is or used to be a way of trapping monkeys in which you got a coconut and you hollowed it out and you tethered it to something and you made a hole in it just big enough for a monkey to slide his hand in and you put rice in there. And so the monkey would grab the rice and his fist couldn't fit back out. Now, if he let go of the rice, his hand could have slid out, but the monkeys are dumb. And they just want the rice. And so they may be terrified and they may see that their life could end right now. They may see the villager coming with a machete, but they're not going to let go of that rice. And so they're trapped. And they're not trapped because they can't get out. They're trapped because they can't let go. And when Jesus looks at this man and loves him, he sees this monkey in a trap. And he sees if you would just let go, you would find freedom from this. If you would just let go, you could come and follow me. You could be free from this. You could gain eternal life. You could be reconciled to God. But you're not going to let go of your great possessions. And so you're trapped. Our possessions can possess us in this way. And so the question for us as we come to a close is do we have anything in our grip that is hindering us from following Jesus Christ? That's the question that you have to answer in your heart before the Lord. Is there anything in your grip that you can't let go of in order to follow Jesus Christ, in order to enjoy a real and vibrant and living relationship with God through Jesus Christ? It might be wealth and possessions. It might be something else. It might be some comfort or some entertainment or some... It could be anything that hinders you from following Jesus Christ. Because no matter how otherwise good you may be, 
You cannot embrace God while you're holding on to something else as your most treasured possession. And it could be good things. It could be your family. It could be your career. These are good things. But if you treasure them more than God himself, you'll never be free to embrace him. I always think of my kids when they were little. I think of Elias in particular having a bunch of cars. And if he tried to transport them from one place to another, he would get all of them. No going back for multiple trips. The same way I am with groceries. Getting groceries out of the car, it doesn't matter if it's cutting off the circulation to my fingers and I'm, they're going to have to be amputated. I'm getting every bag in one trip. And we go through life like that as if we've got to get as much as we possibly can in our grip. And it leaves us so consumed and weighed down that we can't possibly embrace God. We just have too much baggage. We just have too much stuff. We have too much possessions, too much wealth, too much worldly concerns. At the heart of what Jesus is teaching here is getting back to the beginning of the man's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Ultimately, there's not anything that you can do because our sin enslaves us so much to these things. Ultimately, all we can do is accept what God has done for us through Christ. It's the only way to be freed from these things. It's the only way to let go. We don't need self-improvement. We need salvation. Thankfully, through Jesus, we have it. So don't be trapped or tricked by wealth in this world. We need God, and through Jesus, we can have him. We can live this week free from the trickings and trappings of this world. We can come and follow Jesus. We can inherit eternal life. I pray that we will let God free us from everything that traps us in this world. I pray that we'll let him loosen our grip on the things of this world. I pray that he will help us to let go of everything that hinders us from embracing him. Can you imagine a life of just full embrace of God? A life of really loving him with our whole mind, our whole soul, our whole strength, everything. Can you imagine the peace of that, the joy of that, the security of that? May God rid us of every hindrance so we can follow Jesus together.